Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed Him, for they were all waiting for Him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored Him to come to His house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around Him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. God, I pray uh, that you would help us to believe that this story happened, just like Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has told us it happened. Help us to believe this story. Help us to rejoice in it, and, and as needed, I pray that you would um, also help us to be changed by it. We thank you for your Spirit who works in your people through your Word, by your grace, because of the Gospel of your Son. We pray that you would do that this morning, in Christ's name, amen. So, as we read this story... It's uh, a couple of things become very clear to us. One, Jesus absolutely is the great physician. Pastors call him this, commentators call him this. People say Jesus is the great physician. He gets called that a lot. It's very clear. Jesus is the great physician. This, this story, just like a lot of stories, um, holds that truth up. Jesus absolutely is the great physician. But we also see as we read this story, Jesus probably would have failed medical school. <laughs> he probably would not have made it all the way to, to his, his medical license. And if he did get his medical license, this story right here, he'd be in danger of losing it at least two or three different times. He'd be in danger of being sued for malpractice at least three times in this story. Because Jesus is unconventional. 
He absolutely is the great physician, but he is not a conventional doctor. He does not do things the way doctors should do them. Jesus is different. And now, Jesus isn't unconventional, and, and, and Jesus isn't abnormal and controversial for, for reasons that doctors are today. Sometimes doctors are, are in danger of, of losing their license. Doctors are in danger of, of malpractice lawsuits because of their own incompetence or their carelessness or because of their laziness or their forgetfulness. Jesus isn't unconventional because of those kinds of reasons. Jesus is, is unconventional and, and different for sure, but He is always, always better. Jesus is always different and different is with Jesus always better. Every time Jesus goes outside the norm to do something, to handle something in a, in a way that nobody else would, nobody else would do things the way He does them in this passage. No other doctor would say, yeah, that's a good idea. Do that, Jesus. No other doctor would say that. Anytime Jesus goes outside the norm, it's because He has really, really good reasons. Let's look at our passage this morning. Our sermon is very simple. Um, three ways that the great physician is an unconventional doctor. Three ways that the great physician, Jesus, is an unconventional doctor. Number one, unconventional triage. Unconventional triage. Um, if you're a child taking notes, we've got a few children taking notes, and, and I happen to know one of the children taking notes is, an, is not a great speller. So if you're, if, you're a, if you're a child taking notes, triage is spelled T-R-I-A-G-E. I'm not going to spell unconventional for you. Just do, just do your best. But triage, T-R-I-A-G-E. And here's what triage means. It's the decision-making process in an emergency room. If you're an emergency room doctor, and three people come into the emergency room, one of, them is, one of them has a gunshot wound to the chest, one has a broken leg, and one of them has a weird rash on his foot that hasn't cleared up for a couple of weeks. You have to make a decision. Who are you going to treat first? That decision-making is called triage. You make a, you make a, a, a decision, a split-second decision. I've got to take care of the gunshot wound guy first. When he's squared away, I'll take a look at broken leg, and then the dude with the, with the weird rash, he's gonna, he comes in a distant third, Right? We have to decide who gets what attention. We have to do triage. All human doctors have to do triage. Let's see how Jesus does it. Verse 40, our story picks up, and here comes Jairus, right? Jairus is a, a ruler of the synagogue. Now, now, most synagogue bigwigs did not love Jesus, but Jairus, he seems to be okay with Jesus. He seems to be okay with Jesus. He's heard about Jesus' compassion. He's heard about Jesus' power, his, his ability to heal. And, and, uh, and he's probably heard Jesus teach by now. And so, so Jairus knows that Jesus alone can help. 
And so there's this huge crowd waiting for Jesus. Jesus comes um, in and this huge crowd welcomes him. And there's, so he, there's just this uh, huge crowd of people. And they're, they're kind of pressing in on him. And, and they're waiting for Jesus to say something wonderful or do something wonderful. He's sort of like this celebrity. He's this, the, he, he's just this, um, uh, a very, uh, just very interesting person. You want to see more of him, and they want to hear more of him. So there's this huge crowd around Jesus. And here comes Jairus, and Jairus falls down and implores him, begs him to come to his house. Because Jairus has an only daughter, verse 42 says. And she is, she is about 12 years of age, and she is dying. And, and that word for dying means, I mean, she is on the, she is on the cusp of death. She is on the verge of death. And so, the way the end of verse 42 says, I mean, it's just this immediate thing. As Jesus went. I mean, the wording there is just like, so Jesus just picks up and goes. Here comes Jairus. He says, please come help. And so Jesus immediately takes off. Now, traffic is bad because there's people all over. This is like an ambulance trying to get down like Highway 30 and there's just, like, there's just it's down to one lane and there's just traffic everywhere and, he, and he's like blaring his horns trying to get through and, and it's kind of stressing someone out to watch that ambulance just stuck in traffic and kind of getting her, trying to get around cars. That's the idea here. Jesus has to go. His 12-year-old daughter is dying. So Jesus is going. So far the story's pretty normal. Let's see what happens next. Verse 43, suddenly now, there's another character in the story. There was a woman who had a, had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So this is a heartbreaking story. This is a heartbreaking story. As we think about what this woman must have gone through. Because, and you have to remember, so like she has like this, this like chronic, um, uterine hemorrhage, right? And so she is just, and so she has chronic bleeding. And, and so the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers teaches us that in this society that she lived in, this made her unclean. This made her ceremonially unclean, which means she couldn't have relationship with anybody. She, if she was, if she was married, her husband was probably long gone by now. They, they could have no kind of physical intimacy, um, or else he would be unclean. He, she couldn't even, if she came and sat down in a chair in someone's house, if, if someone else came and sat down after her, they would be unclean. If they touched her or any way, in any way, they would, they would have to go through like this purifying process. And so, and so she was just cut off from society. She couldn't worship with God's people. She couldn't fellowship with God's people. She couldn't, I mean, she was, this is heartbreaking. She is all alone. This is an, this is an awful condition. So it's not only just physically, it's not only, she, she's not just suffering physically, but she's suffering in, in all kinds of ways. And so our heart, breaks for her. For 12 years she had suffered. So, so think about this. She had suffered for as many years as Jairus' daughter had been alive. And so Jesus, is, He's got these two people now in His life, and for, for one of them, for one of them, for, J for Jairus, 12 years was way too short. I can't lose my daughter now. It's, been, it's not been anywhere near long enough. And for this woman, 12 years is way too long. She's been suffering for 12 years. So she sneaks up behind Jesus. Right? 
She sneaks up behind Jesus. Verse 44, she came up behind Him. So there's a crowd of people and He's, he's moving towards Jairus' house, but He's moving slowly because the crowd is pressing on Him. And, and so it's slow traffic and she's going and she goes up behind Him and touches the fringe of His garment. Just like the very bottom edge of His garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. And so, and so, at that moment, at that moment, smart medical training tells you we have to keep going. We cannot stop and do this. We cannot stop and talk to this woman. We cannot stop and, and diagnose her and draw her out of the crowd and have a conversation with her. We don't have time for that. It's not because our hearts don't break for her. Of course they do. Of course we don't want anyone to have chronic suffering in their life. But there's, a, there's an urgency to Jairus' daughter. we got to go take care of that now and then come back to the woman. If, if Jesus would have done that, if Jesus would have said to the woman, hold that thought, I, I'm, I'm, I'll be right back. Everybody in the room would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Because we, we definitely don't want to abandon her. Absolutely. We're definitely not just going to leave her. But we've got to do, the, we gotta do the, the important thing first. The emergency first. The urgent thing first. But Jesus stops everything. I'm going to talk to her for a while. And we don't, we don't know what Jairus is thinking, but I, I know. I'm a dad. I know what I'm thinking. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I remember when my mom had her stroke um, five years ago, um, and uh, I and I we she, they had to do this this um, procedure on her to to um, to break up the uh, to break up the blood clot in her brain. And I'm my dumb sister. I texted her this week asking her for the details because I knew I can't explain this. And she said, "I'll text them to you." And I said, "I need it for a sermon." She said, "Okay." She never texted me. So <sighs> anyhow, so I'm probably getting this wrong. Um, and my sister, like, she knows this. Anyhow, it's, it's, it's on her. If you don't understand this, blame my sister who you've never met. Okay, so anyhow, um, so anyhow, but they had to do this procedure on my mom to, to, to get rid of the, 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 the blood clot in her brain. And, and they said, if they would, if they would have done it, like, 30 minutes later, she would either be dead or she would be, she would be, um, just like a vegetable. It was like, it was that close. And so I'm trying to imagine, you know, I'm putting myself in Jairus' shoes, and I'm thinking, here's the doctor, and he's doing this procedure on my mom, and then a, and then a broken foot guy comes in. And of, of course we don't want the, the man, we don't want the guy to go, go on suffering with a broken foot. We want the doctor to take care of that. But we got to do the urgent thing now, right? What is Jesus doing? We'll do this later. Let's go to the house and heal the daughter. What is going on? But Jesus... Stops everything. Who touched me? Peter's like, are you kidding me right now? Everybody has touched you. <laughs> like, no one hasn't touched you. It's almost like Peter's got some claustrophobia or something. He's like, they're all touching me too. <laughs> like, everybody's touched you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Someone touched me. And then he draws this woman out and he has this conversation with her. It's this big, long thing. You're like, what is, we could have done that later. He doesn't do it later. He does it then. Which reminds us, when we look at the way Jesus does triage, or doesn't do it, I guess, really, 
when we see Jesus' unconventional triage, we remember Jesus doesn't get interrupted. Like, it's not possible to interrupt Jesus. I get interrupted all the time. I have, I have more than one child. Um, and so, my children, they're, here's what they do. Either, either none of them talk to me at all, or all of them talk to me at once. They're really bad at scheduling. Like, I feel like, I feel like with one, one comes and they want to talk to me about something, and then another one is just sort of waiting in the wings, and they're waiting for someone to, they're waiting for the other one to talk to me so they can just jump in. That's what I feel like. I feel like it's, I feel like it's a planned, like, attack. I feel like a, I feel often in my life like I'm under attack. And so, um, it's fine, because I'm bigger than they are, but it's, it's still, I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? So one is talking about this, and then the other one remembers that they have this dire need for a popsicle, and so they come in just kind of running in, asking about that. And I can't do two things at once. I can, I can usually hang on to one conversation at once. I can do one, usually. I can't do two. I can't do two things at once. Jesus can do a billion things at once. Have you thought about this? Like, if you belong to Jesus... If you're in his family, you've never once interrupted him. He doesn't have like that spectrum that we have of things that are urgent and important and dire. And then, then, then there's the rest of us who our stuff is probably not even worth mentioning to him. It would just be an interruption. We're, we're, not, we're not that significant. Our need isn't that great. We've got the chronic pain, but we're going to have it next year. We had it last year. We've got the chronic sorrow, but we had it last year. We'll have it next year. Jesus is done listening to this. He's got to be done listening to this. Jesus has to be up there doing what I do, which is, you know, just waiting for his turn to talk, waiting for us to shut up so he can have his turn to talk, or checking his phone discreetly while we're talking, thinking about other things while we're talking. No. Jesus never, ever, ever gets interrupted. He never gets exasperated by you. He never thinks you're less significant than the other person praying to him at that moment. One of the things about the gospel that teaches us that we have a hard time believing, I have a hard time believing, you're, you're significant to Jesus. You're significant to him. He loves you. You're not interrupting him. You're not exasperating him. He's not me with my children. He's, he's him. He's better. He doesn't do triage because he doesn't need to do triage. And um, I was thinking about that this week, and and so I wrote this sermon like on Wednesday or Thursday, and then I um, I got to thinking about this. So this is a this is you know some some ideas are like half cooked. This is probably like a three fourths cooked. This is not ready to come out of the oven and and give to you guys, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Um, and so I ha- I don't have it quite written down yet, 
but I've been thinking about it, and it's been convicting me, and I wanted to convict you too, because I don't want to just sit here by myself being convicted. So I'm going to talk to you about it as well. I think if we, we uh, Dan, you and I don't have the power that Jesus has. We, we, we have to prioritize things, right? We have to have emergencies. Like Rick, if, 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 two, two, if two people need Rick's help, he's got to choose which one does he help first. Doesn't have a choice. Like he can only do so much. So that's true. But I wonder though, this is I wonder about my own heart, and now I want you to wonder about your own hearts as well. How much though are we are we exasperated by people? Especially people we don't think of as important, or maybe we don't think of their need as as important. How how often do we not reflect the heart of Jesus. I, I, because we can't do the power of Jesus. We can't do two things at once. But how often are we impatient with people because, because we see them as interruptions when really, if we took a step back, we'd realize they're not really interruptions. They're just people that we love that we probably should be helping right now rather than trying to ignore, rather than trying to brush aside we can't do what Jesus can do, but we can more and more and more have his heart. I believe that. We can be more and more in the image of his son. Our disposition towards people can more and more and more reflect his. And here's what I think. I think that for me and for you, the more we reflect Jesus' disposition to people, his attitude toward people, I think more of his, more of his power. I think he does more work through us. I think he does more really significant work through us as we adapt his disposition more. That's a, that's a three-fourths cooked idea, but I, um, but I think it's a good way to understand this text. I think it's a good way to apply this text. I think, I think the more we adapt Jesus' attitude towards people that we think of as, are you kidding me right now? Just, just stop. The more, the more we cut that off, the more we stop with that and the more we really listen to people, the more we really look them in the eye, the more we really engage with them, the more we turn off our phone and stop waiting for our turn to talk and really just try to think through what they're going through and what it means to love them and to help them. I, I think that, that Jesus will do more and more stuff through us. And you say, that's, not, that's a little bit beyond me. I, I feel that too. The beautiful thing is when, we, when we're feeling weak and incompetent in that kind of work, we can go to Jesus because he never gets interrupted. That's the first way Jesus is a great physician, but an unconventional doctor. Unconventional triage. Number two, unconventional patient privacy. Unconventional patient privacy. He doesn't do patient privacy at all. <laughs> so she comes up behind him, this woman with the discharge of blood, this woman with the uterine hemorrhage. And I, so if you would have looked at my phone, like my Google searches this week, oh my, um, how to pronounce uterine and uh, that kind of stuff. So I had some weird searches this week, um, but I got through it. This, 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 this woman with this hemorrhage, she comes up behind Jesus, touches the fringe of his garment, uh, verse 44, and immediately her discharge of blood has ceased. That's crazy. 
That shouldn't happen that way. Like, what? how did that happen? And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? All deny it. Peter offers his helpful information. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. I have healed someone. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why he had, why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And I love verse 48. One of my, one of my top ten verses in the book of Luke so far. I love this. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And so, like, if we were going to disciple this woman, if we were going to help, we were going to take her aside and say, that's not, you don't, don't do that. Like, that's not how you, that's not how you do that. You don't go up behind Jesus and try to touch his robe and hope for the best. That's, don't do that. That's weird. Don't do that. We don't know all of what was going through her mind. And so, you know, common, commentators love to argue about whether she was too superstitious or all of that stuff. And I, who knows? We don't know what was going through her mind. But we do know that as yeah, you know, maybe, maybe her, maybe her theology was a little bit goofy. Her understanding of how this worked was a little bit goofy. But we know that she truly believed Jesus could heal her. She truly believed in Jesus. And she was desperate for him to heal her. We do know that. And we also know from these verses, she, she wanted to hide. She was not interested in, uh, in, being out in the open. She was not interested in walking in the light. She wanted to stay back in the shadows. And can we blame her? For 12 years, if she touched anybody, they were unclean. She was that woman. She was that person that just, you just you automatically do this. Anytime she's, like, that's who she was. And so can we blame her that she was hiding? No! But, and, and I'm sure she thought, if I touch Jesus' robe, he will be unclean. I am going to be the woman who made Jesus unclean. That's what, I'm sure that's what she's thinking. Can you imagine being... And, and so this is why she sneaks up, touches him, oh, I'm healed, and then tries to like go back into the shadows. But Jesus isn't having it. Because the thing about Jesus is, when you, when, if you're unclean and you touch Jesus, you don't make him unclean. He makes you clean. Only person ever who does it backwards. He doesn't, I mean, so the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers says you can't, you can't touch a woman with a, with, with, with a hemorrhage of blood. You can't touch her or you'll be unclean. And it also says you can't touch a dead body. Jesus is gonna do all of that in the same like 30 minute period. He doesn't become unclean. He makes other people clean. And he does more than just make her clean. He brings her into his family. I love that he calls her daughter. This, I, I have cried, I have almost cried about this like three times this week, thinking, because here's the thing. This is the only time, this is the only story that Jesus calls someone daughter. It's the only time he uses that affectionate family term. And he does it, I mean, it's the same story. Matthew and Mark, this, this same story shows up in those gospels, and he uses that term there as well. But that's it. For this woman. And, and so it's fascinating to me that while everybody is thinking about Jairus and his love for his daughter and, and they're feeling so sorry for Jairus and their hearts are breaking for Jairus because he's about to lose his daughter. His daughter is dying. Here is Jesus bringing a new daughter into God's family. 
we see here just how much Jesus loves this woman. And this woman's probably older than him, so for him to call her daughter is um, strange. And what we know from that is what he's, what he's doing is he's, he's bringing her into, into God's family. She is now at peace with God. Your faith has made you well. It's saved you. She is now in the family. She is now at peace with God. Her faith, not, not touching his magical clothes. It wasn't anything like that. It was her faith in Jesus. And he's going to make sure she understands that. And the way she's going to, he's going to make sure is by drawing her out. He loves her way too much to respect her privacy. Can you imagine if you were in a waiting room? And uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, a woman goes in and, you know, an hour later, she and the doctor come out. And the doctor says, now tell everybody what I told, what I told you to tell them. And so she says, yeah, I had a uterine hemorrhage and now I've been healed. Like, that's weird. I mean, that would be super uncomfortable, a little unethical, and probably illegal. Right? That's weird. That's not patient privacy. This is strike two against Jesus when it comes to whether or not he's going to get his medical license. Jesus is the great physician. He is an unconventional doctor. Can you imagine that? That's super weird. But Jesus loves this woman way too much to let her hide. Jesus knows that what this woman needs, she finds in the family of God. She finds in community. She finds walking in the light where Jesus is. So he brings her right out into the open. She tells her story, and she says, I was immediately healed. This is, this is a consistent theme in the New Testament. We are to go public with our faith. Please listen carefully. We are to go public with our faith. Jesus does not want us hiding. He loves us way too much to respect our privacy. He wants us out in the open. I mean, this is what baptism is all about, right? This is publicly declaring that Jesus is our Savior. Our faith, it is a private thing, for sure. Absolutely. But it is also a public thing. It is a, I belong to Jesus. I was a sinner and Jesus saved me. I'm going to be out here with the rest of you saved sinners. You are my people. We are Jesus' people. We're going we're to start small groups this fall. And I hope you join one. And this is a, a great way for us to talk with each other about how the Gospel of Jesus Christ is helping us. How the Spirit of God is changing us through the Word of God by the grace of God. Small groups are this great great opportunity to gather together and say, this is how Jesus is saving me. This is how He is changing me. This is how He is growing me. This is how I need you to pray for me. This is, this is the blessings I see in my life. These are the challenges in my life. But I belong to Jesus. And that's scary. I don't like that. I probably just killed our small groups right there. No one's showing up now. I ain't saying that. Bunch of weirdos. It's scary. Going public with your faith is scary. I bet it was scarier for this woman. I don't think we, we even have the, 
I don't think we can even understand what it would have been like for a first century woman to come out in front of all these people and say this. I don't, I don't think we can get there. But Jesus absolutely isn't going to let her hide. He brings her right out into the open. Walk in the light. That's where Jesus is. So that's the second way Jesus is a great physician, but he is an unconventional doctor. And then number three, unconventional prognosis. So we've seen unconventional triage, and we've seen unconventional patient privacy, and now we're going to see unconventional prognosis. Verse 49 through 56. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. I'm going to stop right here and say, another half-baked idea here. Uh, I'm going to stop right here and say, part of the point of this passage is that we never say, do not trouble the teacher anymore. You always trouble Jesus. You go, you go right to him with your troubles. You go right to him with your anxieties. You go right to him with your worries. You go right to him. There's never a time where we say, ah, we, it's not worth talking to Jesus about. It's always worth talking to Jesus about. Anyhow, verse 50, but Jesus on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And so they all laughed at him. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Some of, so, th- so in that group of mourners, there would have been like professional mourners, people who were paid to mourn. This is what they did. And then there would also have been a lot of extended family there. But all these people knew, hey, no, she's dead. Like, she's dead. She's not sleeping. She's dead. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed, I love, this is like another one of the top ten verses in the book of Luke, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And every, I almost cried at this too, because I'm just a baby, but I, I almost cried at this, because every time Haddon wakes up in the morning, she wakes up, I say, good morning Haddon, she goes, I want a snack! I'm like, I love you too. So before she, before she needs to talk, before this girl needs to converse with anybody, get her a snack. And their parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And we don't know why he charged no one to tell them. It could be that there's a bunch of scoffers out in the other room, and he said, well, we're not going to even try to convince those people. Jesus doesn't always, he doesn't always put up with scoffers for, for a long time. He puts up with his children even his trembling children, he puts up with them indefinitely. He doesn't always put up with scoffers. So, I don't know much about being a doctor. I, um, I don't think I would do very well medical school. My, I, I get, uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't love blood, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't love, like, seeing what's inside like I don't think I don't think I could be a surgeon I don't I just I loved ultrasounds like um I got to go 
I think babies one through six, I got to go and see at least one ultrasound. Um, and it was cool to watch, like, the technology, you know, get better in long years. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So got a little, got to see that. It's good. And we got one ultrasound, like, right before Haddon was going. Was it Haddon? Like, an ultrasound right before. You could just see her. So I like that kind of stuff. I like that kind of stuff. But I don't think I could be a doctor. I couldn't be a surgeon. But I do know the difference between asleep and dead. Like, I feel like if you're going to be a doctor, maybe even before you get to medical school, you should sort that out, right? Like, that person's dead, that person's asleep. Like, I think if you, get, I think if you confuse those, you're in for a, a lawsuit or two, right? You're in for some trouble. You're going to make the news and not in a good way. Don't mess those two up. And it's important for us to understand that when Jesus says, do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping, Jesus isn't offering a diagnosis. Like, Jesus isn't saying she's not currently dead. Jesus is is saying she's not permanently dead. He's saying she's dead, but she'll snap out of it. She's dead, but I've seen worse. He's offering a prognosis. He's offering a, he's offering a, here's, here's the outlook. She's, she's dead, but she's going to recover. She is essentially sleeping. This is a, a beautiful reminder for you and me. Because while Conventional doctors should know the difference between dead and asleep. Like if you get those mixed up, you're going to be in trouble. There's, there's the difference between, the difference between a, a conventional doctor and the great physician is that if the great physician takes you by the hand, death is nothing more than sleep. If you belong to Jesus, if you have confessed that you are a sinner and His perfect life his death on the cross, His glorious resurrection are your only hope to be forgiven of your sins. He is your only hope to escape punishment that you deserve to be given eternal life with God in heaven. If Jesus Christ is your only hope, if you belong to Jesus, then death is nothing more than sleep. If Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die. You're going to die. Uh, last week or two weeks, no, two weeks ago, um, the kids were in the service, and in that sermon, somewhere along the line, I said, everybody's dying. All, like, we're all dying all the time. We've been dying since day one. And that's, I think, the only part of the sermon that my son Pete heard, because he said that like five times since then. He's like, we're all dying. Did you know that, Dad? And I was like, yes, I do. And he's just, I don't, and it has nothing to do with anything. I'm just like, that's not, how is, you, you interrupted to say that? Like, what? Anyhow, um, but he, he heard that one part. So, that was good. So anyhow, a little morbid, but good. We're all going to die. Your, your body is going to fail you. Jesus doesn't come back. You're going to die. But then, if you belong to Jesus, the day absolutely will come when He says to you, get up. When He wakes you up. And He says to you, it is time to eat. It is time to feast. It is time to rejoice. 
So, so if you don't belong to Jesus, please come talk to me about that. Please believe the Gospel. Please turn to Jesus as your only hope to be forgiven of your sins. And all that means is simply trusting that, that He is sufficient to forgive you of your sins based on what He did on the cross for you. Just believe that. And if you have believed the Gospel, if you belong to Jesus, then I can guarantee you that Jesus is not always going to behave Himself like a conventional doctor. He's got, I mean, there's, there's gotta be some times in the story where Jairus is just scratching his head like, what are the priorities here? What is the timeline here? What is going on? Jesus doesn't do triage the way we expect him to. He doesn't prioritize things the way we expect him to. But along the way, we can be sure we're never interrupting him. And he is going to call you into the light like he did with this precious woman. He doesn't do patient privacy. He's going to call you out into the light where he is. And, I can promise you, you belong to Jesus. He is going to hold your hand through death. Death is going to be like taking a nap. And he's going to one day, like he did with this little girl, he's going to wake you up and say, let's, let's have something to eat. Because he doesn't do conventional prognosis. He doesn't do conventional triage. He doesn't do conventional patient privacy. He's better than all that. He's the great physician. He's He's the resurrection and the life. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for Your Word. We pray that You'd help us to believe it. Help us to believe that this story happened. That, that, that Dr. Luke, who, who may himself been cringing a few times as he thought about this, Dr. Luke wrote this down by the, by the inspiration of Your Spirit. And it is just true. This just happened. It just happened. Help us to believe that. And help us to long for the day when you, you wake us up and you say it's time to eat. It's time to feast. It's time to rejoice. And until then, help us to just trust Jesus. Help us to go to Him. Help us to know He's never exasperated by us. He's, he's never interrupted by us. And then help us to reflect that to the people that we love. I pray that, I pray that Jesus would do work through us as by Your grace we more and more reflect His attitude towards the people in our lives. And I pray, God, that You would help us just come out into the light. Just say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a sinner. Here's how Jesus is saving me. I'm a sinner and here's how Jesus is saving me. Here's how He's changing me. Here's how He's growing me. Here's how I need You to pray for me. Here's, here's the things I'm thankful for. How can I help you? Just, I, I pray, God, that you just bring us out and help us to be friends with each other. I pray, God, that you would one day wake us up where we will be with you forever. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen.